and welcome to the midweek edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. Um, I am your host, Sean Needham, and I am streaming from downtown Rapid City, South Dakota. Beautiful weather here. It is definitely starting to feel like fall, that's for sure. Um, I'm excited for it. I love seasonal changes, so um, hope you all are too. And I am super excited to have on our show today Antonio Chacha. He is going to educate us on what PBMs are and why they're not our friends. So, um, Antonio, without further ado, go ahead and introduce yourself and let's uh, start this topic. Thanks a lot. Great to be with you today. Um, so, yeah, my name is Antonio Chacha. I uh, have spent my entire life in the pharmacy world. Uh, originally, I uh, wanted to be like my dad, um, who's a pharmacist up in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I started at Ohio State uh, to do what he did. And then I hit organic chemistry and decided there were better things to do with my life. <laughs> that uh, was definitely a weed out course for pharmacy. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Um, so I actually switched to journalism uh, and political science and eventually took a, uh, a, a role with the Ohio Pharmacists Association, uh, where I got to start learning more about the business of pharmacy rather than the practice. And um, during that time, I heard a lot of complaints from pharmacy owners about these entities called pharmacy benefit managers or PBMs. And when I heard about it from pharmacists, all I heard about it uh, or all I heard was the context of the way that PBMs would audit them or the way that PBMs would reimburse them. Uh, I only knew essentially their impact to the pharmacy and the complaints that they had. Um, but along the way, I learned essentially what was happening on the other end of the transaction, that while pharmacies were getting paid low from PBMs and complaining about it, uh, on the other end of the transaction, you had a plan sponsor that was getting charged a lot more than the pharmacy was getting paid by that PBM, um, which set us off to start exploring how the sausage was being made and how plan sponsors were being billed and pharmacies were being paid for prescription drugs. Uh, fast forward the tape, um, we did a lot of data analytics research while I was at the Pharmacists Association that helped uncover uh, how our home state of Ohio was being overcharged to the tune of $244 million in just one year of our Medicaid managed care program, where PBMs were essentially inflating the cost of medications. Um, that set off a huge controversy and taught me that there was an unmet need in the market and so I launched uh, three access advisors and uh, 46 Brooklyn research as uh, entities to help educate the public on drug pricing dysfunction. And how, when did you launch three access? Uh, in January of 2019. And so tell us a little bit about, I think when, when most people um, have their prescription benefit card, they don't know the Premier Blue Cross or you know whatever United. They, they, all they know is it's, it's a all they know is it's a health insurance. They don't understand the PBM part. Can you tell us how that's actually another middleman in between the insurance company and the um, healthcare provider? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think your point is uh, is is well taken. I mean, I can't. I I honestly couldn't tell you right now who my insurance company is at my own firm. <laughs> that's probably a problem. Right. Um, right. A lot of people don't know the actual logo that uh, is on their insurance card. But let's just say, for the sake of simplicity, uh, many people still do know who their insurance company is. 
But when you flip the back of the card over and you see pharmacy benefit and a, you know, a number that you call or a, you know, some weird name that you've never heard of, it is even more niche than the insurance company on your insurance card. And so um, while let's say Anthem is your insurance provider, well, you as a consumer think that whenever I have a, a medical issue, my, in, my Anthem card or my Anthem coverage is ultimately going to provide me with some sort of relief, some sort of benefit or coverage when I encounter a medical issue. What most people don't know is that Anthem, at least historically speaking, hasn't necessarily taken the pharmacy side of your, of your, um, of your medical issue and managed it in-house. And so many, many years ago, decades ago, in, uh, PBMs were created as essentially pharmacy insurance to act as a middleman to the insurance middleman for the coverage of your prescription needs. Now, in the old days, they just acted as a simple claims processor. You walked in with your prescription to the pharmacy, yeah. the pharmacy receives it, they ping your PBM who decides whether or not the drug is covered, how much is covered, and what your copay will be, and what the pharmacy is ultimately reimbursed for that prescription. Well, they acted very much like a Visa or MasterCard, just facilitating a transaction from point A to point B. But over time, we as consumers started to rely more and more on PBMs and insurance companies to cover a greater share of medications and a greater portion of each medication. To the point where I remember when I was working as a pharmacy technician, you know, patients would see that they were charged five or ten dollars and say, why isn't it zero? And so um, our reliance as consumers turned over our power as consumers to the PBM who found themselves in the middle of more and more transactions and being more and more of a central figure in that transaction. And what PBMs decided over time was rather than just facilitating the transaction, how might they actually start influencing that transaction? And that's where PBM started to run amok. Can you give us an example of how consumers give it, get short into the stick um, when it comes to a PBM and they go to a pharmacy to get a transaction done? Yeah, so um, as, I, as I was saying, what happens what happened over time was, is rather than just approving the transaction, the PBM started influencing the transaction. So rather than, you know, the pharmaceutical company charging whatever they wanted, the PBM said, no, you know, we're not going to cover your drug unless we get a little bit of a discount. And when the pharmacy end, you know, pharmacies you know, in the old days could charge essentially whatever they wanted or whatever the market would bear. And rightfully so, PBMs came in and said, well, you know, maybe there's a maybe we can negotiate a fairer price on those things. And conceptually, all of that is okay. You know, if a pharmacy is overcharging, the insurer should necessarily have to pay every dime that the pharmacy charged. Um, that's uh, a, a, a competitive balance, okay? But what ended up happening is that PBM started to grow and grow and grow larger to the point where they actually became larger than the pharmacies that they were aiming to control and the drug makers they were aiming to control. And so that gave that outsized market presence gave them the ability to really start bullying both sides of the transaction, the drug company and the pharmacy. And in doing so, provided a lot of real estate for them to start creating a gap and, and a lot of gaps between what the pharmacy is paid and what the end payer or what the consumers charged.
or from the drug company's perspective, they could negotiate a PBMs could negotiate big discounts off the list prices of medications. And by discounts, that means they get big rebates, large checks that are sent from the drug maker to the PBM in exchange for coverage on a patient's formulary. The PBM decided over time, what if we keep it <laughs> rather than passing it through? So what PBMs really started doing over time, and it was a gradual thing, right, is they started to become conflicted. Rather than acting as a pure entity, acting as a necessary friction against the supply chain that would aim to charge as much as they could get away with, they started making money on the very transaction they were hired to control. And that's when things really started to get ugly. Because rather than working to lower the prices of medications, they started working to make money off of the inflated price of the medication. Rather than controlling the costs of pharmacy exclusively, they started profiting off of the pharmacy transaction themselves. And over time, actually started opening their own pharmacies where they had a competing yeah. interest in the pharmacy marketplace. So I, I use this analogy. It might be a little bit too, uh, uh, too colorful, but what I typically allude, uh, uh, use as an analogy is imagine a police officer. You hire a police officer to control crime in your neighborhood. And for the sake of simplicity, let's just say that there's a local gang that has the biggest amount of crime or the most problems for the community. Well, you want that police officer to try and control that problem as much as possible. You want them to minimize the amount of crime being done in the community. All of that works really well. Well, you could argue that maybe it doesn't all the time, but conceptually, the police officer has the right incentive to make sure that crime is being controlled. But what happens when the police officer's paychecks no longer come purely from the, from the community and the police officer starts getting paid by the gang? Wow. Now you have a problem on your hands, okay? And so you, you arguably have made the problem worse when the police officer starts getting compensated from the gang. That is exactly conceptually what's happened in the pharmacy marketplace. And so when, when, Sean, you ask about, okay, well, give me an example of where, where, where these problems are, we could spend the next you know, week talking about them. You have issues where a pharmacy's underpaid on a claim. Let's say a pharmacy buys a drug for $100. They get paid by the PBM $60. The pharmacy is upset. They're, they're mad about that. They're, you know, they, they say they're not going to stay in business. Well, that is bad for the provider, right? And it's arguably bad for the patient if that is a continuous thing that puts the pharmacy in a position they go out of business. But let's talk about the really, really bad part is where the pharmacy bought the drug for 100, they get paid 60, and the PBM turns around to the local employer and bills them 200 for that exact same transaction. That's, that's wow. abuse. So, so what's being done about it, Antonio? Um, it, it, I mean, obviously, you know, you're you you uh, are in this industry. Tell me, what can consumers do? What can pharmacists do? So, um, there's a number of things that can be done. So, um, a lot of our expertise originated in the Medicaid sector, where, as I said, we helped create the crumb trail for the state to uncover 244 million dollars of gap between what pharmacies were paid and what PBMs build our state Medicaid program. Our state opted to fire the PBMs 
and create transparent pass-through pricing, meaning that the, far, that the PBM could not slap on these hidden charges over top of the medications. Those types of things, I think, are very good from an alignment perspective and from a pragmatic perspective. And from an alignment perspective, I mean, back to the issue that I mentioned at the onset, that PBMs became conflicted when they started making money off the transaction they were hired to control. Well, aligning their, their incentives in the right direction would mean divorcing them from making money off that transaction, at least uh, in a non-transparent fashion. That gives them the ability to essentially inflate the cost as much as they want. Those are really good things that states across the country should, should make sure that they're, that they're putting, not just in their Medicaid programs, but in their other government agencies like public employee retirement systems, et cetera. But that's just one thing. If I was, if I was to tell you that, that just doing that is a solution, that's a lie. Because in my home state of Ohio, after they banned that practice, it's called spread pricing. When the PBM pay is low, bills high, pockets the difference. After the state banned that practice, they saw a new problem emerge oh. where PBM started overcharging on specialty medications, which for those of you that don't know the industry very well, PBMs all own their own specialty pharmacies. And so when a PBM subjectively decides to overpay on a specialty medication, recognize that most of those prescriptions are flowing through the pharmacy that they own. Wow. So retail or community pharmacists will always complain about underpayments from PBMs on a number of their claims. What most people don't know is there's a select number of medications out there in the marketplace that PBMs choose to wildly overpay for thousands of percent more in margin that you would actually need in order to sustain the business. Our research has shown that on the drugs that PBMs tend to overpay for, they also tend to dispense the most of. Conflict of interest, again. I mean, it's like a cartel. It truly is. I mean, in any other industry, I think it would be illegal. I mean, seriously. I can't think of another industry that would that that this goes on in can you uh i i i i don't i i so i agree with you but i would also say that i don't know a lot about other industries uh to the degree i know this yeah. um i've learned to have a, a big pessimism um on on opacity within within business um look you know i i'm i believe in capitalism i believe you know very strongly that you know, that there are that the in, the profit incentive of markets can be a very healthy thing for, you know, innovation, for for growth, appropriate growth. Um, when you deal with healthcare, where you have a patient that needs something where it's life or death and you insert capitalism, but then also insert high levels of complexity and a lack of transparency, you create a lot of opportunities for abuse. Um, and not all PBMs are bad. We encounter what I would consider to be well-aligned PBMs, more transparent ones, even fiduciary PBMs um, that, that, that do act, I think, in a much better manner than I think the, the status quo of the industry provides. Um, but in general, yeah, I think that what's the, a huge problem, let's, let's talk about insulin, for example. There was an article that ran in Axios uh, about a month ago where they were talking about the list price of Lantus. Uh, a vial, a single vial of Lantus could run you around um, $287 list price. Um, if you look at what the drug maker actually sells it after the discounts they pay to PBMs, 
it's more like $30 or $40. Okay. So I'm sure, you know, pharmacists uh, and doctors have, have heard from patients a lot about the rising cost of insulin. Well, the truth is, is that insulin is very, well, relatively speaking, very cheap, but the list price of the medication is massive. And why is it massive? Because of the massive amounts of discounts that drug makers have been building into the price that they pay the PBM. So here's what's really screwed up, I think, from a consumer's perspective. As I mentioned before, the PBM is negotiating with the manufacturer of insulin in order to open up coverage to the patients that that PBM represents. So the drug maker, in order to get access to the patient, has to essentially incent the PBM to cover that product in the first place. Well, what do they do? They have big discounts that they pass through to the PBM. So if you're a patient and your PBM has collected a discount or a rebate that's equivalent to around $250, $240 off the list price of that medication, how can the PBM require you as a patient to pay $287 for that product when on your behalf, that PBM, that same PBM collected $240, $250 from the drug maker when you got that prescription filled? Right. That's, there you go. That's a lack of transparency and the complexity of the system, which I think in most of healthcare, I think that's what people want. I mean, that's what the system wants. I don't think consumers necessarily want that. And I don't think healthcare providers necessarily want that in general, but the system loves it because they can hide behind things like that and profit in other ways. They're basically just escalating, overcharging, um, you know, so over escalating the price artificially so they can get more of a, more of a profit. Now on the insulin thing, this is really interesting because Antonio, I, I was uh, in, I've been in South Dakota for almost a week now and I was in Walmart and we, you know, insulin is a very hot topic. So thank you for, for sharing that. Cause that's a very, very hot topic because people will die without insulin. Yep. Um, probably type two by diabetics, maybe not, but um, you know, very, very necessary drug. So I'm in Walmart and I see a sign for insulin, um, Humulin, actually Noblin, Noblin R, Noblin N, Noblin 7030. And let's remember, those Noblins, kind of like Humulin, back in 1983 when those insulins came out, the first human insulin came out. In fact, the first insulins that came out, pork and beef insulin, back in the 20s, they were all over the counter. They were not prescription. And um, so Noblin N, Noblin R, Noblin 7030, Humulin N, Humulin R, Humulin 7030, they are non-prescription. Um, you can go up there to the pharmacy and buy it without a prescription. Now, Unfortunately, some pharmacists aren't educated on that, so you have to educate them as a consumer and let them know that it's not a prescription. Just read on the bottle. It doesn't say legend drug. Just read on the bottle. But unfortunately, some pharmacists are so used to getting everything for a prescription. Why are they? Because pharmacists are so used to everything being billed to insurance. So, And when something is billed to insurance, it has to be prescription. Over-the-counter drugs is not are not covered on insurance. They're just usually not. There's exceptions. But so guess what? Guess how much a vial of Novolin is um, if a patient comes in and buys it cash across the counter? $24.98 at Walmart. $25 a vial. So when we want to talk about the price of insulin, it's not the price of insulin that's expensive, just like you're saying. Just like you said, it's not the insulin's like 30 or 40 bucks. 
the PBM is making two hundred on it. Um, the price of the price of the transaction, putting health, putting insurance in between in the whole mess of it, that's what gets expensive. So if consumers really, really want to save money, I know this is very, very, you know, this is a crazy concept for many. But if consumers want to want to save money, use the free market, um, buy insulin cash, and you will be better off. You got any comments on that, Antonio? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, when I think of drug prices, I think of balloons, you know, you know, when when a balloon is deflated, it's very small, you know, it, it's, you know, it's, it's it almost insignificant. But when you blow it full of, uh, of hot air, that thing expands way, way exponentially more the actual real size of that balloon when there's no air in it. The same thing is true with many brand name products. Uh, in in the uh, in the prescription drug marketplace, where all these drugs are packed with hot air, and that hot air is the rebates in discounts. Um, drug makers will often point the finger at the PBM and say it's their fault our prices are so high. That's sometimes true, and actually, in competitive classes of medication like insulin, it is definitely true. Um, for drugs that are more niche, don't have a lot of competition, it is not true, okay? But for the medications where there's competition, what do we know about competition? Competition should be driving the, the prices of, of products down. Look at the generic marketplace where you have a high degree of competition. Different manufacturers making the same product drives the acquisition cost for pharmacies to buy those medications down. You could take a drug that used to be $300 a pill and within two years drive it down to less than a dollar. That's what competition does in the generic marketplace. Um, the exact opposite happens in the brand sector. Uh, in the brand sector, drug makers compete with one another by raising their prices and then increasing the discounts paid to the PBM. Now, it, it, and it's not just PBM, it's governments too. State Medicaid programs are required to get the biggest discounts in the marketplace. So they have a role in this too. But the key here is, is that when competition occurs in the brand drug sector, it does not lower the price of medications, at least the list price medications, it actually ends up inflating it. So the question then becomes, if you're a consumer and you're paying a huge price tag for a brand medication, the question isn't just, hey, why did the drug maker charge me so much? The, the question in addition is, why aren't I getting the discounts? Why am I not getting the discounts that my insurance company and PBM are getting from the drug company? Because any anytime that somebody is paying the full list price for medication, if there are discounts that have been negotiated on their behalf, then that patient is entitled to them. But that's unfortunately not how the system works today. And so tell me though, if they're negotiating, if PBMs negotiating with a drug company, then to get a discount on a drug or that that might mean that sometimes and it's on and and it's on that patient's formulary that might mean that sometimes the patient might not always get the the best drug they get the drug that's on the formulary that the pbm has negotiated a good price with is that correct that is exactly correct so the pbm is not a fiduciary of the patient I meaning they don't have to act in the interest of the patient always and so when a PBM is, is creating a formulary, 
they're doing it with their interests in mind. And look, that doesn't mean that it's always bad, right? We've seen, I've seen PBMs engage in what I would consider to be appropriate formulary management. Uh, but what, look, regardless of whether I think it's right or not, you as a patient should know, look, the PBM is deciding which drugs will be covered and which ones won't, which then begs the question, what is their criteria? If they don't have to act in my interest as a patient, then whose interest are they looking out for? And the truth is, this is going to sound overly, uh, you know, overly negative, but they work for shareholders. You know, these are publicly traded companies. And so ultimately, they're going to be making decisions that in an aggregate level or in a net level are those that benefit their shareholders. And sometimes that could mean that the drug that you actually need or the drug that might be most appropriate for you, um, the drug that might be better in terms of yielding a better clinical outcome may not necessarily be the one that's preferred by the PBM, which again shows the interest with con the, the issues with conflicts of interest. Conflicts of interest don't just raise the price of medications. They can also have a detrimental effect on your, on your well-being. Wow. Now, speaking of conflict of interest, um, and I, I haven't, at our pharmacy, we haven't built, because we knew the racket with PBMs and how they were overcharging consumers and how it just made everything more expensive and service go down. We haven't built insurance at our pharmacy since 2002. We got out of the racket and I feel so liberated and we're able to offer better service and better pricing because of it. Now we run a niche pharmacy and it makes it a little bit easier to do that. But um, tell us, so I, I've kept out of some of the the things, how it's progressed and how PBMs have gotten worse. Now, is it true? Aren't, aren't like the two biggest PBMs owned by like the two biggest pharmacy um, chain pharmacies? Can you expand on that? So um, at this point, over 90 percent, if, if not over 95 percent of all prescriptions are paid for through insurance. And then the question then is, is who is processing those claims at a PBM level? Um, there are three PBMs that make up anywhere from 75 to 85 percent of the marketplace, depending on which source you want to you want to look at. But for all intents and purposes, you have three companies that have a stranglehold on that PBM marketplace. Those three companies, Express Scripts, is owned by Cigna, who is a large health insurer. And Express Scripts is also a huge mail order pharmacy and specialty pharmacy. You have OptumRx, which is owned by United Healthcare, the largest insurance company in the world. Um, they also have their own specialty pharmacy and mail order pharmacy and own their own pharmacies in Genoa, which are uh, a mental health pharmacies as well. Uh, and then you have CVS Caremark, which is owned by Aetna, also a health insurer. Uh, they have their own mail order pharmacy, specialty pharmacy, and those of you that have you know driven you know any amount of distance in the world, you'll know that CVS is also a retail pharmacy as well. Right. So um, the entity who is hired to control the cost of medications just so happens to have a huge part of their business that is staked on the dispensing of medications and making money off them. And if you think of those layers inside of that where they own each other, um, right down to the retail level, there is no incentive for them to charge less. I mean, seriously. I mean, they, they want to make maximize um, a bill on each transaction. I mean, really, correct? That, that's correct. And and I have to catch myself sometimes because I think sometimes I can, I, I overly demonize vertical integration. 
uh, vertical integration can unlock um, new opportunities for innovation, it can create efficiencies, okay? But again, we're not dealing with fiduciaries here. We're not dealing with entities that are required to lower the costs of healthcare services. And so vertical integration has an ugly side and then it can be exploited. And so when you have an entity that is covering the benefit, processing the claim and making money off that, dispensing the medication, making money off that, and then has a competing interest in the pharmacy marketplace where they would ideally like to eliminate competition at that level as well, you have a recipe for disaster. And I'll take it one step further. Many physicians' practices are now being bought by large insurance companies as wow. well. So imagine this, all right, if you will, dear patient, that the insurance card that you have, whose logo you couldn't even remember, you know, when, before you pulled it out of your wallet or your purse, that entity controls which drugs are covered, where you can get them dispensed, how much you'll be charged for that medication, and now is starting to acquire the physicians that you can see as well. So they have complete control of the entire supply chain from those authorizing the prescription in the first place all the way down to the entity dispensing it. Unreal. And it's if people knew the complexity of it and how people are profiting off healthcare, I think consumers would be outraged. And I think that's, is that part of what you want to do is kind of a grassroots movement to educate consumers about this? That is that's that is exactly correct. It, you know, as I as I as I said, none of this is inherently evil, and we've seen instances where this what is you know what I would just say works. Okay, but those are limited and few and far between. To me, our job is to educate those paying the bill, the consumer, the patient, the provider. We all complain about healthcare costs. We all care. We all complain about drug costs. But if we don't know how the sausage is being made, then how will we ever calibrate that system to work in our interest? How will we ever be able to lower the cost and increase the quality of healthcare if we don't actually understand the incentives and conflicts of interest that might be underpinning its dysfunction? And so from our standpoint, knowledge is power. I very much look at this like a journalist would and say, look, we have a problem in this country that we pay a lot for healthcare and get widely, widely varying results for it. Okay. And sometimes really awful results. We deserve to know how our money is being spent and who those we've entrusted to provide that care or pay for that care, how they're, what they're doing with that money. So our job as, a, as, as researchers, as consultants, as advisors, as people who investigate this system is to make sure that those that pay the bill and those who are impacted by the system know how it's functioning. So tell us a little bit about your company, 3Access Advisors. So um, our, we do work for state Medicaid programs, state Medicaid fraud control units, provider groups. We do work for um, uh, researchers, foundations, um, law firms that are litigating uh, issues in this space. We act as data analysts and data visualizers to help size and uh, explain how the system is working. So um, when we started, we only really did uh, research for fun. 
um, over time, we realized that there was an unmet need in the market. And so we started to diversify and do more and more. Um, we act as advisor advisors for certain members of the supply chain. So there are disruptor PBMs that are trying to enter the marketplace, technology companies that are looking to pull the rug out from under the system. I also act as a, as a senior advisor to the American Pharmacists Association. You know, pharmacists are sick of having this system happen to them. They want to start influencing and taking control of their practice and their profession. And so to the degree with which we can educate those members who are getting run over or those members of the supply chain that are getting run over by the system, we try to better educate them on how the system works so they could better position themselves in that system. Awesome. Well, as we wrap this up, um, Antonio, you, I think you've, you've met our goal of educating, just like you said, educating and empowering um, consumers and individuals that, you know, to take charge of their own health is our goal. And part of this is financially. They need to know what goes on behind the scenes and um, or it'll, it'll never change because consumers need to drive it. I'm a big believer in capitalism like you are and in free market in free markets. And I think consumers will actually, you know, drive that as they always do. So tell us as we wrap this podcast up, what, what do you have a passion for? Um, well, first and foremost, family. Uh, I, I am, uh, I am crazy, uh, crazy about my family. When I'm not looking at uh, drug pricing data, it is exclusively working, uh, and having fun with my family. But, uh, when, when, uh, when the lights go on at the office, um, it's an obsession with looking for the next game that is purposely architected to fleece consumers and the payers of healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe very strongly in the power of medicine and the power that providers, physicians, nurses, and pharmacists can provide that system. Um, I take great offense when their incentives aren't properly aligned and they're not engaged to the degree that they should, or worst off, they're being taken advantage of. And so um, my passion is. Uh, kind of bullying the bully um, because there are a lot of bullies in, in healthcare, and I think we need to call them out for what they are and get rid of them. Uh, and so that's uh, that's my interest uh, because you know I'll be damned if you know a bunch of suits sitting around a boardroom are going to devise ways to take advantage of sick patients um, because it's just not right. I wouldn't like it in pharmacy. I wouldn't like it in, at any level of the drug supply chain. I certainly wouldn't like it within you know sectors of healthcare that are so detached from the patient that they don't have to encounter them when they can't actually pay for the medications. Awesome. I love it, Antonio. So uh, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way? Uh, so you can access our, our website at threeaccessadvisors.com uh, or at our nonpro- at my nonprofit, uh, 46brooklyn.com. Uh, you could follow me on Twitter at A underscore Chacha, C-I-A-C-C-I-A. Or you could email me at antonio at threeaxisadvisors.com. Awesome, Antonio. Well, thank you for being on today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. Appreciate you for what you do. Yep. So tune in Monday where Health Solutions will have Lori Powell. It's a three-part series with Lori Powell. How she is be going to be discussing her health journey, um, weight loss journey, cancer journey. And um, you don't want to miss it. So 1230 to 1, three-part three part, uh, story starting out uh, Monday, 1230 to 1. Uh, Tune in Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you for tuning in today. We really appreciate it. Thanks to all our listeners and viewers. Um, We stream live on Facebook and follow up. uh, We'll have the edited version on YouTube. So go to our YouTube channel, the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy YouTube channel, and subscribe to it so you don't miss anything. Thanks for tuning in.